Recovery Elevator, episode 361. But that's exactly what it was. It was like, dude, you got to stop talking about it. You just got to do it. If you're going to do it, do it. If you're not going to do it, shut the hell up and and move on. Because these people that you're talking to are going to get tired of listening. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us today. On today's episode, we've got Eric. He's 58 years old. He's from New Jersey and took his last drink on February 10th, 2019. Nice job, Eric. Listeners, this March 31st to April 2nd, we'll be in downtown Denver, Colorado at the Hilton Garden Inn for our yearly conference-style retreat. This event is geared towards connection, and you'll connect in fun ways with others who also want to ditch the booze. This event is loaded with live music, connection, and we'll be exploring meditation. In fact, all the music for the meditations are performed live. Registration for this event is now open, and see the RE website for more information. Link is in the show notes. Thank you, Liz. And when this episode drops, we are on a sober travel trip in Costa Rica. If you're listening to this episode, we're all in Costa Rica. What's up? I'm so glad to be here with you guys. Okay, now let's hear from Exact Nature. We are thrilled to partner with Exact Nature because we are committed to the same goal, to help you quit drinking. Exact Nature's safe, all-natural CBD-based products can aid your alcohol-free journey. If you struggle with sleep, cravings, mood swings, and high stress levels, learn more about how Exact Nature can help you at exactnature.com. Recovery Elevator listeners will receive 20% off their orders by using the code RE20. That's RE20 at exactnature.com. Okay, let's get started. I want to cover why we want to work with the nervous system and why I feel it's so important. You may have heard me say on this podcast once, twice, 400 times that recovery, sobriety, a life without alcohol, whatever you want to call it, is more about creating a life where alcohol is no longer needed opposed to staying away from it. And here is why getting your nervous system in check is so important. If your nervous system isn't yelling tech support like Tom Cruise and Vanilla Sky, then you'll get much more out of your recovery work. In addition, avenues of joy will spontaneously open up. So I'm going to give you two examples of this in my life. In February of last year, I purchased a ukulele. And the more I work with my nervous system, the more I want to play the ukulele. In turn, the more I play the ukulele, the more it calms down my nervous system. That's a great cycle. That's the opposite of the addiction downward spiral cycle. And thank goodness, I'll take it. Now, I'm lucky to live in such a beautiful place in the world. I live in the countryside outside of Bozeman, Montana. What did my recovery work? And those are air quotes around work. What did that look like this summer? I would drive up to a lake by my house. I'd walk five minutes into the forest where no one could hear me. And I'd walk, sing, and play the ukulele with my dog in tow. Yes, there are grizzly bears in the forest, but I won't flatter myself thinking my soothing melodies would attract any local wildlife. I've enjoyed playing the ukulele so much that I'm offering a sober ukulele course this February. Now, none of this was in my life a year ago, but came into possibility because my nervous system was in a state of calm. The second example I want to share with you is that my passion for model railroading has returned. Up until the age of 14, or right around when I took my first drink and started liking girls, at least 60% of my bedroom was dedicated to a model railroad layout. Fast forward to today, I keep getting my nephew model trains for his birthday and Christmas, even though he's way too young to play with them. 
In fact, on his last birthday, my brother goes, great, another train he won't be able to play with for another five years, we'll add it to the collection. So with that, I realized I was just getting my nephew trains for me so I could play with them. And with that realization, I got myself a Lionel O scale model train set. And now I have about 80 feet of track in my house and a train going around my entire living room where I podcast. In addition, listeners, this is exciting. I have plans to cut holes in the walls and have the train make an appearance in other rooms of the house and the basement. I've already purchased the tunnel entrances, so watch out. Here is why I'm sharing this info with you. The more my nervous system is in check, the more I'm able to enjoy this hobby. The more I work on my model train layout, the more relaxed my nervous system becomes. Now let's compare this healthy cycle versus the cycle of an addiction. When I was drinking, I had unmanageable anxiety. The only thing that helped was alcohol. But the more I drank, the more anxiety that I had. You see the pickle there, and I'm sure many of you are nodding your heads with this. With these hobbies, ukuleles and trains, the more I do them, the more it calms my nervous system. The calmer my nervous system is, the more I can nourish my soul. When I mentioned last year that I wanted to cover the nervous system in 2022, a listener named Jen from PWC Chiropractic outside of Chicago, Illinois, reached out. She educated me about her chiropractic facility, which is dedicated to working with the nervous system. She recognizes much of our recovery has to do with the brain and body connect, and her type of work is neural-based chiropractic care geared specifically towards working with the nervous system. If you visit a chiropractor regularly, it might be a good idea to seek one out that works with the nervous system. Again, Jen is with PWC Chiropractic just outside of Chicago, Illinois. Or you can go to pxdocs.com for a nationwide listing of chiropractors that work specifically with the nervous system. Thank you, Jen, for listening, and thanks for your help with this episode. And that link is in the show notes. Thank you, Liz. In the next several episodes, I'm going to cover one method each episode that I recommend trying to calm your nervous system. But before doing so in this episode, I want to quickly summarize again why it's so important to have a balanced nervous system or a nervous system that's not in a constant state of low-grade fight or flight. When the sympathetic nervous system is activated, this is the fight-or-flight response. When this happens, blood is sent away from the cognition centers such as the brain and into the extremities. The body cues the release of adrenal hormones, think cortisol, pupils dilate, breathing and heart rate quicken, blood pressure rises, and glucose reserves are used. Doing recovery work when this is your constant baseline, it's not going to do much and it won't be fun. On the other hand, when we are in a sense of calm, we cue the parasympathetic nervous system. When this happens, it tells the body it's time for expansion, for travel, for creating new projects, for journaling, for visualizing your new alcohol-free life. Your immune system turns on, you start digesting food, and your body begins to heal injuries. Basically, you are able to physically and emotionally heal. Okay, here's our nervous system tip for this episode. This one is pretty easy. In the show notes of this episode is a link to a Nature Sounds playlist on Spotify. If you don't have Spotify, go to YouTube or iTunes and search for Nature Sounds. The next thing I want you to do is have it playing in the background while you do, well, whatever you want to do. Warning, you may find yourself taking a nap just as I did after playing the playlist I just mentioned. So here's what nature sounds can do for your nervous system. For millions of years, our ancestors lived outside in nature. Only in the last couple thousand of years, and more recently with the invention of air conditioning and heating, have we shut our windows and doors during the day and night. This prevents this calm and soothing soundtrack from reaching our nervous system. 
We often forget that we are nature. We evolved with the chorus of crickets, robins, and blue jays. Every cell in the human body, around 70 trillion of them, consists of an antenna called primary cilium, which is wired specifically for sound vibration. All you have to do is listen and then let the nature sounds do the work. Again, the link is in the playlist. Please give it a try. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Next week, I'm going to come at you with another tip to work with the nervous system. Now, before we hear from Odette and Eric, let's hear from BetterHelp. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the best online therapy option that currently exists on the market. Mental health matters. And as we continue to live through these stressful times, it has become more and more evident that we need to have someone that can help us process our emotions and navigate the challenges of sobriety. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp provides a broad range of expertise, which may not be locally available in many areas. The platform is super easy to navigate as you can log into your account at any time and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions with your counselor. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. You all know that I'm a big proponent of therapy, so I highly recommend you check it out. Simply visit betterhelp.com forward slash elevator. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join everyone that is taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Recovery Elevator listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com forward slash elevator. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash elevator. Thank you, Paul, for another amazing introduction and Recovery Elevator. Please help me welcome Eric to the show today. Eric, how are you? I'm great, Odette. Uh, I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm great. I hope you're doing well. Yes, thank you so much for asking. I am a week away from flying home to Guadalajara with my family and I'm counting down. So I'm excited. Yay. Oh, (laughs) that'll be so fun. Yes. Thank you so much, Eric. And let's get right to it. I know we have a lot to talk about. So tell us when the last time you had a drink was. The last time I had a drink was February 10th, 2019. Oh, just as someone who knows your journey, I I just felt really nice to type that in here in my notes. And I'm just so grateful (laughs) to have witnessed your journey. And I can't wait to get into it so that everybody hears from you. But first, let us know a little bit about just who Eric is. Can you let us know where you're calling in from, how old you are, what do you do for a living, what are your hobbies, and what do you like to do for fun? I live out on the East Coast in New Jersey, and uh, I am uh, a teacher. Uh, I've been in education for over 20 years. And hobbies are, well, I teach theater, but I also do a lot of theater. I've been kind of taking a little bit of a break from it lately because some of the things I really like to do now is, is hiking and uh, going to the gym. Those are two big, huge things for me. And I guess that's kind of what I like to do for fun as well, is just get out out, um, out in nature and, and you know, do things like that that are active, you know, just getting away from the, the regular old thing, you know, um, change, change kind of the, um, the view, so to speak. And, uh, and that always helps me. How old are you, Eric? Oh, I'm, uh, I'm 58. 58 going on 30. 
Yes, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect, Eric. Well, thank you so much. I owe you guys on the East Coast a visit, so I'll make my way eventually. You're more than welcome. Let me know when you're coming. (laughs) Let us know, Eric, your story with drinking. So let's chat about when you started drinking. When did you realize alcohol wasn't serving your life or becoming a problem? And what got you here chatting with us? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll try to give some some uh, like brief background to, to some things. Um, I grew up uh, with drinking around literally every day and kind of it was normalized. And, you know, you hear a lot of people say that, but it definitely was. I mean, I didn't look at it as a bad thing. That's that's, you know, for sure. And even when I watched my father kind of be drunk driving us home, you know, I mean, I don't even remember being super worried about that. I know my mom was not happy, but I, I guess we just kind of thought that was always supposed to be, you know, and then we did the typical kid things, you know, like we would steal beers from our father and then we'd go camping and, and drink the beers out at the, at the, the campsite and did that kind of typical stuff that a lot of kids that grew up in, I grew up in a small town, so there wasn't a whole lot of other things that we wanted to do. So that, that worked, you know, worked for us, especially as we got older, I went off to college and drinking really ramped up for me there. And, uh, you know, because there was obviously nobody watching me, I could do what I wanted and, you know, drinking in college is kind of part of the rite of passage for sure. And I noticed that, you know, I could get drunk pretty fast. And, uh, and I had a couple episodes where, uh, I guess I blacked out you know, or passed out. And, um, but I, you know, it was all kind of laughed off, you know, we all just kind of, you know, acted like it was, it was not a big deal. So then, uh, then I got out of college and I still kind of kept that college attitude towards drinking up, you know, actually all the way up until the the very end of, you know, when I, when I decided to stop. So a couple of things with my family that also played a role because one of the things I have discovered is that there was there is trauma involved in my in my youth and growing up. My father was very disconnected from the family. Um, he didn't grow up with a father, um, so I think his theory was that you know he made the money and we had a place to live and food on the table, and that was pretty much the extent of what he needed to do. My mom was the disciplinarian and 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 then, and when I talk about discipline discipline, we were beat with a belt you know, if we did wrong. And there were a couple of times when both my brother and I had welts on the back of our legs oh. and, and our lower backs and stuff like that. Yeah. But come to find out my mom had, she was emotionally abused as a child. And I think there might've even been some physical abuse there. And she was bipolar, but nobody, you know, we really didn't know that. So fast forward through all of that, I, I come out of college uh, I get a job in uh, in politics of all things, and I'm doing pretty well. And I get a phone call from a secretary that I normally don't work with, and so it was very odd. I was on the road, and it was very odd. So I called her right back, and it was uh, my mom was trying to get a hold of me because my dad had gotten sick, and at the time they thought that he had a stroke. So um, they needed me to come home, and I was trying to get home. I was up in like around Chicago. So I had to fly into Chicago with the candidate after um, a stop, and then I had to fly home. I literally walked in the hospital as they were wheeling him into surgery because they found that he had had a brain aneurysm, and they were going to have to go in to fix it. So 
I mean, there's a lot around that, but the bottom line with that was my father ended up in a coma for five years before he passed. And that really, you know, opened the door to my mom's mental illness and, and, you know, all these things that we didn't see, you know, like when my mom would be upset or whatever, my father would just kind of shoo us out of the house. And um, my brother and I just thought, you know, I, I think we kind of thought that maybe some of the things that we were seeing was normal, but then like our friends were like, oh, you know, you guys, your mom's really mean. And, you know, and we kind of like agreed with that, but we didn't really know what outside of that, what else we could do um, about it. We just kind of thought we had to live through it. But needless to say, I think my dad was just kind of hiding it from us by getting us out of the house. So my mom really went off the rails. And there was a lot of times that uh, I had to really kind of calm her down. She almost got my father thrown out of the hospital because she was threatening to sue people. And there was just a lot of stuff around that. I was, it was kind of the pressure was on me to kind of be the one to, to handle it all because my brother just really did not want to be involved. So certainly my drinking ramped up with all of that. It was just my way of, of getting away from everything. And, uh, you know, back in college, my, my last year in college, I had gotten my first DUI. And again, I wrote it off as a college thing and, you know, I got through it and all of that. So then I get to, um, I get through getting into all of this stuff and I end up getting transferred um, like two hours north of my parents. And uh, so I'm trying to go back and forth and do all these things. And um, lo and behold, I get a second DUI. And at the time I worked for attorneys. So I thought, well, you know, maybe they could get me out of this. And, and what the one guy that went, you know, there's really nothing he could do. Um, so I kind of wrote it off like, all right, well, I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time and, you know, so on and so forth. And in the meantime, my, my, my father's from the East coast originally. So all relatives on my dad's side live out here. So my uncle had offered me the opportunity to move out to New Jersey um, I was getting written out of contract at, at work, um, so I, w- I didn't really have a job at the time. I was working at a bar, <laughs> go figure, <laughs> uh, just to keep my drinking going. And, uh, and so I came out here, and that, you know, it kicked back in. You know, the drinking kicked back in. My cousins were heavy drinkers, and I just kind of followed along, followed suit with all of that. In all of that, I was having a lot of trouble meeting women and I wasn't doing very good with relationships and I was taking it really hard if it didn't work out and all of that. And I was starting to blame those broken relationships on my drinking. And, um, and so I get out here and, and I have a situation happen. I get a, a, a DUI. The first one out here was, um, I was driving a friend home from work from the bar and we had been drinking, but, I just didn't think I was that bad. And uh, I, I got my first one and I was in grad school at the time. So I tried to write it off and I tried to act like, oh, well, wait a minute, you know, I'm in grad school. This, you know, they, this isn't me, you know, you should be letting me go for all of that. Well, of course that didn't happen. And then um, I, I get a job in where I'm working now and I get, um, I get popped again for now, this would be my fourth DUI, but my second one in a different state. Yes. And because of all of that kind of logistics, it was never dealt with like it was a fourth or, you know, third or fourth or whatever. Um, So I never, I kind of skated under the radar and I just basically got, you know, uh, the reprimands based on that number. 
you know, and not the total number because there just wasn't any crossover. And so I dealt with that and, and got it out of the way. And then 16 years pass. And in that 16 years, I get, I get married and then there's a, that becomes a failed relationship. I, when that became a failed relationship, I changed jobs. I stayed in New Jersey, but I moved away from, from the area where all my friends were and everything else. And it was after one, you know, we were at the end of his school year. I, I was out and about and I ended up, you know, spending a lot of time out. And uh, this was in 2015 and I got popped for the, for the fifth one. Mm. But it was 16 years difference between what would have been considered the second to the third in this state. And they have a step down thing that after 10 years, it is considered the second instead of the third. Again, I skated under the radar, but this time I finally realized there was, there was a problem. There was, I, I finally said, this can't, this, there, this doesn't happen to normal people. You know, the, you, you need to address this. And that was the beginning of it. Now I didn't stop drinking then, but I knew that I needed to address it. And, you know, it's really interesting listening to people have their, their moment and their moment doesn't always mean that that's their stop moment. It's just that their moment is like something in their, their brain is starting to shift. And, and, and I think that's what was going on for me. And I remember just like throwing prayers up and saying, get me just, if, if I can get through this in some way, I'm going to, I'm going to finally deal with this issue. Just help me make this right. And a bunch of miracles started to happen. You know, I, I ended up being able to move back closer to my friends I was able to find a way to get to work. And at the time I worked like 30 minutes away and I was able to find somebody who actually I worked with that lived just um, not like up the road from me. And so they were able to give me a ride to work. And, uh, and then I was able to get my job back at, at my, my old job, which happened to be in the town that I lived in. So I was able at times to ride my bike to work that whole last year that I didn't have a license. And all this stuff was starting to happen. And the year before I finally quit drinking, almost a year before, like May of 2018, a friend of mine turned me on to the idea of um, Eckhart Tolle and, uh, and the power of now. And so before I even made the decision to quit drinking, I had read the power of now and I was getting into meditation. Well, that was in May of 2018, but if we back up just a little bit, February 10th of 2018, my mom passed. And I, I remember getting on the plane from out here to fly out there. And the first thing that came into my head was now the healing can begin. And I didn't really know what that meant yet. You know, I wasn't sure what that meant yet. And oh boy, <laughs> what that meant is everything I've been going through ever since. Now that didn't stop my drinking. Um, and the Eckhart Tolle stuff did not stop my drinking, but it did start to change the way I was approaching it. And I was starting to slow down and I get to like the end of January of 2019. And I'm like, you know what, you keep talking about this, but you're not doing anything about it. You need to either do something about it um, or stop talking about it. So it was kind of like that, that old, you know, saying shit or get off the pot. But that's exactly what it was. It was like, dude, you got to stop talking about it. You just got to do it. If you're going to do it, do it. If you're not going to do it, shut the hell up and, and move on. Because these people that you're talking to are going to get tired of listening to it. So I made the decision. And I remember I got up uh, on the 10th. And uh, I, I just was tired of being 
I was just tired. I was tired of it all. I, I felt totally out of sorts. I felt totally alone. I felt like I didn't know which end was up. I, I didn't know how to do anything right. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta stop. So I made the decision to stop. And I had already been listening to RE, um, the Recovery Elevator, and I had um, you know, read This Naked Mind and all of that and all those things. And I was listening to This Naked Mind. In fact, my my door that opened for RE was um Paul had interviewed uh, Annie Grace on mm-hmm. RE, many, you know, like in the very beginning. And she, she played that interview on her podcast. And that's how I got introduced to R.E. and Paul. And I remember I came across some notes the other day of all the things I would jot down, things that I would hear on these podcasts and stuff. And I found Recovery Elevator, Paul Churchill, and a bunch of stars by it. And and I and I was like, well, obviously I made that really important because I did, did all of that. But uh, but that was kind of a reminder to me, like you need to listen to this podcast. You need to listen to this guy because he was really good with Annie Grace. And that kind of opened the door to Recovery Elevator. And um, and I remember kind of going back and forth December 2018 about joining Recovery Elevator because they were about to, um, the price was changing and all of this other stuff. And I'm like, oh, I could get under the gun if I do December. But I was like, I, you know, if I've joined and I really have to stop drinking, do, am I ready to stop? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, it's Christmas. I'm not going to do that. So I waited. So when I joined RE I, I, and Cafe RE in particular, um, I, I said to myself, I'm gonna I'm gonna get involved in in you know a monetary part of of my recovery. So I need to make this I do this seriously, and um, and it was the best decision I ever made. It was the best decision I ever made. Joining Cafe RE and getting involved with uh, the community. And, uh, you know, and I listen, I kick in and scream and get involved with the community. I'm not I, I that was something I really had to work on and learn. You know, isolation had become my thing and it was really hard to like let it go. Um, but so much good stuff is happening, you know, out of all of that. You know, I, I learned a lot about myself. I've been able to really work on on all kinds of different things. You know, obviously my brain, uh, the the nature and, and getting involved in nature my spirituality, you know, physical fitness. And now I, I'm on to a new venture. My new venture is uh, I'm getting involved in uh, recovery coaching. So I'm, I'm really excited. And my reason for recovery coaching, and as part of, I've been playing around with my mission because part of the whole process, they tell you what to walk through. But my reason was I want to help people, you know, guy or girl, I don't care who they are, who are lost like me, who are lost like me, and they're trying to find their power and their voice. Um, cause all of this helped me find that power and voice and, um, that's important to me. And I want to, I want to pay it forward. And if I can do it through this, then, you know, amen, I'm, I'm all in. Oh my gosh. And Eric. there you have it. No, I mean, first of all, thank you so much for sharing, you know, you're welcome. So vulnerable with what happened in your childhood. And I feel like that's a whole other closet that, you know, it, it's hard to open up about that stuff that, that happens at home and, you know, and how sometimes dysfunction is normalized because we don't know any different, you know, and and it's hard to see where you're at when you're constantly in it. So I think that, you know, it's been great for you to be able to kind of connect the dots and reconcile a lot of who you were becoming based off on our history. You know, I think it's not, 
useful to stay stuck in the past, but it's very useful to gather the data that can kind of help us understand, oh, this is why I'm triggered by this. This is why my behaviors are like this. And, and it is, it is just great hearing you talk about it because I've, I've also learned that like every household has some dysfunction and it's more about talking about it and, Mm -hmm. um, getting out of it. Um, being open to change. It's this whole journey. And I did want to ask in terms of the alcohol, I know you said, you know, it was normalized. You got out of the DUIs as you did. And then there was this one when you were like, something's got to change. It sounds like I have a problem acceptance. And like you said, it wasn't the last time you drank, but something clicked. And I do feel like it's important to talk about what you shared. You know, I feel like there's two tracks and I love that you mentioned right. Eckhart Tolle because I, you know, that I love him too, but yes, um, there's this track of awareness. And I feel like the track of awareness and the track of sobriety can be one, but also many times are two different tracks to where You know, we've had a lot of guests come on here and say they listened to the show for years before they stopped drinking. And none of that is in vain. I feel like as we are cultivating our awareness, then our behaviors start to change. And it's like they're correlated, but they're also two different buckets that can integrate and mesh into its own. But they're they're two different things. And I think obviously that if you're sober, that catapults and like acts as a catalyst as to how fast you can keep creating depth to your awareness. But a lot of us do start with this conscious awakening before we stop drinking. So I'm really glad that you brought that up because we shouldn't feel guilty around that. Or that's what I genuinely believe. Like, how was your headspace when you were starting to realize that alcohol was a problem, but you weren't quite sober yet? Like, did you experience guilt, shame, or like what type of self-talk were you having with yourself? Well, I I mean, I think for me, I was still, I was still in denial. I mean, there's that denial part of me that was having a tug of war with this kind of sort of subtle shift that had been going on. You know, it was the first time that I really said, you need to address this. I, I mean, there were times where I remember kind of saying to myself, you know, maybe you should just stop drinking and, you know, maybe you should just, you know, like I had these moments that, and then I was like, I would set these goals like, okay, well, when I turn this age, I'm going to, I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to stop drinking and go to the gym every day. <laughs> and uh, which is totally unrealistic, but it was what my brain would let me say. And then I would, then I would kind of laugh it off as unrealistic. I think like, oh, that's not going to happen and and just go but then this time was just there was it was an internal shift and it wasn't being made by the law or somebody else it was me and that was huge because in the past I did whatever they would tell me I had to do but I didn't accept it you know I just did it because it was what they told me to do and you know one of the biggest things and I wish there would be a way to work with this in some way but I think where a big mistake is made in regards to the law is that they really need to work with people in terms of that they actually have an addiction and they have an illness and they they need help I understand that you have to pay the price for what you've done. I get all of that. But uh, I, I just sometimes feel like that in all of that, we miss the idea that we're supposed to try to help these people get it back together and, and show them, you know, how to do that. And I don't think that that's done correctly. Yeah, um, it's more it's more like a punishment. Yes. 
Yeah. So which which and listen, we all know this because we all went through it and, and certainly we get to watch it, too. But um, you're already angry because you're 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 shifting and you're shifting out of what you've done all the time. So you're already angry. And then on top of that, you're having somebody reprimanding you um, for what you did. And, and you have all this stuff that's going on. And so the anger takes over and it just let me get out of this shit takes over. And you fail to remember that. Wait a minute. I got into this shit because there's something wrong here with me. I need to work on this because how do I keep doing this? Did that just gets pushed to the side because you're so, you know, dealing with all this other stuff. And, and in fact, in all of that, you know, when all that was going on, I said um, to my, I made a conscious decision. I'm like, I need to deal with this, but I'm not going to do it until I'm done. And through all of this stuff, I'm not going to let, you know, the law tell me what I have to do because I know what's going to happen. I'm going to get down the road and I'm going to be angry and and I'm going to just blow it off. I need to make this decision on my own without somebody holding something over me, like my license or whatever, because it's got to stick. And for me, me making a decision to join RE, me making a decision that that was enough, I'm done drinking that I had to make that decision unencumbered by anything else um, in order for it to stick for me. So um, that I made that decision and I'm so glad I stuck to my guns about that because when I made it and made that personal choice on my own, it came from a more foundational place. Yes, a hundred percent. You know, a lot of the times there's a lot of frustration from loved ones of people who struggle with addiction because it's almost like you want to just shake the person and say come on but if it's not coming you we can't change people it's the bottom line and what i'm trying to say you know it it does have to come from within us and i i mean a big part of it is willingness in the first place and and when you aren't in a place where you feel willing at all you know it, it does tend to backfire so i'm just really glad that you were able to arrive they're on your own and safe because we know that's not the case for everyone, you know? So that's definitely a blessing. And Eric, once you joined and I know you found your community and you've encountered a lot of like shedding of parts of you, like a lot of transformation since you joined, but in terms of like dealing with life without alcohol, how was that early sobriety for you? Like what was helping you at the time? Well, you know, for me, and and I, I you know, I talk about this now uh, uh, quite a bit in terms of how I try to uh, look at the journey. And for me, the journey has two parts. And the first part is sobriety and, and sobriety, meaning our biggest goal in that first two months, six months, uh, three months, six months, a year is just to not drink. You know, just I, my 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 job right now is just to not drink. And so, uh, you know, obviously I went through frustrations. I went through uh, cravings. I went through, you know, like I remember I joined in February and then, you know, the first thing that comes up, you know, within that first month, a little over that first month was, um, was St. Patty's day. And, uh, and I remember distinctly actually getting on, I don't know if I typed in or think I made a video or whatever, but I, I got on that day and said, all I want to do is drink right now. And I remember that distinctly because that was a big moment for me because I just wanted to get in the car and go. And I remember kind of thinking to myself, dude, you got 30, 
five days or something like that now. Do you really want to like piss that away? And and I was like, and I guess my better self said, no, you know, no, you were you've worked too hard to get here. You know, just hang in there. This day is going to be over soon enough. Hang in there. And somehow all of that worked, you know, early on and and just kept me going. And then the other thing that kept me going was, um, I think, again, it was probably within the first 60 days, um, you know, Paul announced that, uh, that, that, you know, we were doing Bozeman. And I remember posting, I don't, I haven't been around very long. Should I really do this? And uh, I remember Kate, because Kate lives out here right close to, or used to live close to me, uh, was like, yes, you should do it. You should do it. And then Paul got on and said, yeah, what a better way, man. You can use that as a, as like a goal, you know, like, okay, I, I have six months now that I need to not drink so I can go into this clean basically. And all that made sense to me. So I signed up and that was the other thing, you know, and I'm a goal oriented kind of person. And if you put a goal in front of me, I'll achieve it. Um, or attempt to achieve it. And I'm pretty solid when it comes to stuff like that. So goals work for me. And that worked. Um, so I had that to focus on like, okay, I got to get to August. And and I'll be honest with you, I got, you know, my brother and I were planning a trip to Denver, right after that. And we talked about drinking and I and he even said, well, so after you go to Bozeman, are you, you know, we're going to meet in Denver. Are you going to drink? And I said, I don't know. I said, yeah, maybe, you know, I mean, I'll prove to myself at that point I could do six months. So, you know, maybe I'll drink. And then um, (laughs) then I got to Bozeman and I showed up in Denver. I was like, "Mm, I don't want to drink. And the beauty of Denver was Denver is so kind of cool in in the sense of uh, even, you know, then it kind of you know, you could find, you could go to a brewery and they would have, you know, alcohol-free kombucha or something like that. And so you could sit there with your tall glass of kombucha that looked like everybody else's glass. And it felt great because you're like, I'm not drinking. Nobody's looking at me like I'm weird. And, uh, and I feel like I'm part of the crowd. Yeah. And and you, and and you had the sober fuel from Bozeman. I mean, if we could have ourselves a little retreat before every big life event or vacation that would be so helpful because you're coming off of this amazing resource fun filled environment and it was probably really helpful you know I just you you were really confident in your decision and felt strong in your sobriety because I feel like sometimes we feel strong about our recovery and sometimes we don't and it's just it goes in waves so that sounds yeah. like you had a good time. How did your brother take it? If you don't mind me asking when you decided to just stay sober? My, my brother, my immediate, like very small group of people in my life were super supportive. And my brother has been super supportive through the whole thing. And in fact, his drinking has curtailed and he didn't drink at the level I drank. I mean, he actually grew up and became a, an adult. I mean, he would drink at night, usually every day, every night, but it was like a couple of beers and he was never trying to drink to get drunk and he could just stop. And I didn't understand the word stop that that didn't kind of calculate in my head. And I was still on that college, you know, thing. So when I stopped, he was just always supportive. When I hit a hundred days, like, oh man, that's great. And then when I hit, you know, a year and and the two years, you know, he's always been super supportive of that. And so I've been lucky. I mean, I really haven't had in that immediate group of people around me, they were all, when I talked about it, when I first did it, they were all in my corner and it was nice. And I never wanted any of them to stop being who they were. You know I mean? I have a friend who 
is a big drinker, but he's so super supportive of me. And I told him from the very beginning, I'm like, listen, this, this has nothing to do with you. So I, I'm not, I'm not ever, you do not need to stop doing your thing. You know, it's your thing. I'm going to do my thing. You do your thing. And, and it's worked, you know, I mean, he's at a point now where he's very willing to meet me for coffee and, and do those kind of things. And, and it's, it's great. What got harder? You know, a lot of things get easier when we stop drinking. What got harder for you? I think what got harder was once I hit year one, I, I felt like, I mean, we, you know, I can't speak for everybody, but just in talking to some people, it feels like similar kind of thing. Like you go, okay, what's next? And there's a, like a part of your brain that starts to say, well, you have this figured out. You don't really need all of this stuff anymore. You can kind of move on with your life type of thing. And what got harder was the fact that that is the second step. The second step to me is now we go, we shift from sobriety into recovery. And recovery for me meant everything else. The why, as Paul likes to say, the whys, right? Why, why did I drink the way I drank? And that's where I started to deal with that was, well, why did I drink the way I drank? And, um, and I really started to realize that, you know, how like the, you know, and the trauma stuff really kind of came even later than that. And I remember even in Bozeman that first time and talking about my story, I never mentioned the trauma of my father's illness and, and my mom's illness and, you know, how I grew up. I never talked about it. And, and there came a point probably last spring where it kind of hit me like, whoa, dude, you know, you've had some traumas, you know, and, and these are big things. And it was probably from listening to people talk about trauma and then talk about some of their experiences. I'm like, wait, my experiences were kind of like that too. And those are the hard things, which was dealing with, first off, actually putting a, um, a definition to what I had gone through and, and accepting the fact that I had gone through trauma and that, that I, my brain dealt with trauma very differently than my brother did. You know, my brain dealt with it in a way of, I took that along with, I was bullied in school as well. I took all of that with me and kind of created, you know, this, I, this kind of this, this wall around me of how I was going to protect myself and how I was going to make and keep friends. And it was really interesting because uh, just last night I had a conversation with a really dear friend in RE um, and her and I've become really cool. We kind of came in around the same time. We came very close, Rhonda, you know, and we started talking about, you know, like explaining, you know, like explain. She, and she was just like, why do you feel like you have to explain yourself all the time? Like you go into this big, long explanation of why you're doing what you're doing. She goes, do what you have to do. You know what? And so in talking about that, we kind of got to the place of that. This was from growing up, you know, mm -hmm. from feeling like I had to, I mean, I had to explain to my mom, you know, why I did stuff. I had to explain to people why I thought I needed to explain to people why they should stay in my life, you know, and I had to explain why I was making a choice because I didn't want them to be pissed off, you know, so it was always about trying to keep people in my life, you know, it was always about trying to feel like I had people in my life and I wasn't, I wasn't alone, and, and so I thought the only way that people would stay in my life is that for me to explain to them why I was doing things and it had nothing to do with them and blah, 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 dee, dee, blah, you know, like I, I was always 
played this victim card and everybody I had to do all these things to get people to like me and, and everything else. And it was just such a good moment last night to have that conversation because I needed to have that. I needed to realize that my life is so different now and I don't need to be explaining everything yes. to everybody. It's That's okay for me to say, I don't want to do that. 100%. And like you said, that's the other part of the journey. The second part where it's, you know, it becomes not so much about not drinking anymore, but about peeling all of these layers. And there's a lot of love and self-acceptance and patience that is needed because a lot of the times we find basically back to your example of over-explaining yourself is we're acting as if as if we were still drinking or acting as if we were still in the trauma and we don't have to do that anymore, but it does take a lot of courage to address these things in ourselves. And, and I'm really grateful that you have like, whether that's cafe RE or any other community, you know, just having people that you can right. have these conversations with really does help continue to kind of source that courage to, okay, well, what other little layer of me is there that I haven't been able to process out or talk about right. or, or want to address. So I just, I love that there's always been this part of your journey that you are so willing to share where it's more about obviously not drinking and also about this self evolution and just really 360 raw, vulnerable awareness of being able to see yourself in a different way and just learning on how different we can be and, and what we deserve, right? Because we deserve a different right. outcome. Absolutely. And and the big thing for me too is, and I'm seeing it more and more every day, I love talking to people that have, you know, very little time in and, uh, and even people who, you know, do some more field research, because I learn so much from them. I learn so much about myself through them. And, uh, and I try to say that to people all the time, because I know, you know, sometimes people go out or whatever, or they'll, they'll have a field research and then they're just like, um, you know, they don't feel that they should be a part of the group anymore. They don't feel worthy or whatever. And I say to them, you are teaching me right now. So you you need to be here. And I learned so much from those people. And I think probably the biggest lesson I've learned, I heard somebody say this the other day and I loved it. And I think it's really true. It finally comes down to this one phrase, shut up and listen. You know, because we come in thinking we have it all figured out and, you know, we're these smart, brilliant people. And we all are. I'm not going to say we're not, but but we, we think we're smart and brilliant. We might be smart and brilliant on certain levels, but when it comes to how we drank and, and what that all meant and the social aspect of all that, we're not so smart and brilliant. And so I like that thing when somebody says just, you know what, just shut up and listen. Eric, how do you deal with, you know, an event or a party, or maybe there's someone new at work that doesn't know your journey? How do you deal when you get offered a drink or you're at a place where you have to explain yourself back to the explaining thing that, that you don't drink. How do you do with that? That's a great question, Odette. I, um, with work, I limit conversation with people about drink. I just avoid the conversations. Usually it's like, Hey, we're all going out for a drink. You want to, you want to meet up. And I was like, Oh, you know what? I got a bunch of things to do, but if I can stop by, I'll try to stop by. And you know, I don't stop by, but they don't really care. So um, I, I, that's how I get around it there. You know, if I have to go to an event or, and I know that event is going to have a lot of alcohol at it. Um, what I try to do is I have, a, I try to make a plan, you know, and, and it's more of a, of a, 
like an individual plan. So I don't necessarily call anybody and, and look for accountability uh, in regards to that. I feel fairly safe, but I also know when I'm starting to feel a little bit like, okay, this is, I got to, I got to move on, you know, and I can always tell I've, I've gone to two weddings since all of this is, you know, since I'm in recovery and, um, and in both cases, I, you know, I, I kind of, asked out right literally like right after dinner and it's it's so funny because weddings especially out here in on the east coast because there's such a big like they make such a big deal out of weddings out here and there are these big events and, and now that i'm sober you know what drives me insane is you get into the reception and they feed you pretty much right away like you're you're into your meal and everything else and then everything stops and you know, like my goal is okay. Let me get to the let me get to the dessert. So they do this big toast with the cake and everything, and then I'll leave. Well, they don't get to the cake soon enough, <laughs> and and I'm watching these people slowly just slide right down the hill with. And you're like, drinking. I want my cake. I want. My yeah, cake. I want my cake. And then you finally go the hell with the cake. I'm out of here. And and I just I go up into the bride and groom and wish them the best. And like, listen, I got to go. And thank you so much. Blah, blah blah. And they're always. I've never had a problem with that being too early. Um, I thought it might be a problem. Nobody ever had an issue. Nobody's ever come back to me and said, dude, why'd you leave so early or whatever? They, they're every, and I think part of it is because they're already pretty much liquored up by the time I get to them. So <laughs> they probably don't even remember when I left. Um, in fact, I think one guy even said, wait, what time did you leave? Yes. <laughs> so, you know, they, I mean, I think they're thinking about it and they're worried about it. They're not worried about it you know, they're not worried about me. And that, that was the other big thing was I'm not the center of the universe, you know, mm -hmm. um, I'm really not. And, and, and that was actually a relief to realize I wasn't the center of the universe. Cause it'd been a lot of hard work trying to, you know, be the, the main person that everybody was worried about. A hundred percent. It is a, you know, you think you're going to dread at the moment you realize, Oh, it's actually not about me, but it's such a relief. It's almost like you can exhale yeah. and be like, wow, I don't have to, I'm not in charge of everything. I'm not in charge of everything. Yes. <laughs> I know. Right. That's great. It, oh, it's so it is a lot of relief when you don't have to be in charge of everything. <laughs> oh, my God, Eric. Um, I, we are going to go into the rapid fire here soon, but I do want to ask you, how is training or learning for this recovery coaching role going? How are you feeling? It, it it is amazing. I mean, right now I, I did, I'm doing a dual certification. So I'm doing the life coach training first, but what's interesting about the life coach training is to me, a lot of what's in that would totally apply to recovery. Absolutely. 100%. And I, I just, I mean, I, I feel good about it. I, the first thing, and I really tried to go into it this way was the first thing that I want to do here is I want to learn things from me. So I want to learn about things that, that are going to benefit me, you know, in my recovery first, because that's what this has to start. It has to start with my recovery. I, and I cannot lose that. You know, if I lose myself in this and I'm defeating the purpose. So I've really been just trying to look at everything as to, okay, how, 
does that apply to me? How, how can I apply this to me? How can I learn from, you know, doing a, a life circle? You know, how can I learn from doing a life metaphor? What, how, and and I've got to tell you that I've learned a lot. You know, I mean, the life metaphor thing that I've done, it's you, you draw a picture of how you think your life has been. You know, and it could be through a song, it could be through, a, you know, like a river or whatever. And I drew this winding river with like rocks and, and things in it, and in parts where there's rapids and all this. And then I get to this kind of lake where it calms down a little bit. And I feel like that's kind of where I'm at right now. But in the horizon, I can see another river coming up, you know, which is life, right? I mean, that's what happens. We, we have these kind of moments where we can settle and get it back, get it. And, and I feel recovery is that moment where we're kind of settling all of that craziness of drinking and, and we're getting kind of getting our bearings again so we can go on to the next part of the adventure. And I mean, it was such a great metaphor for me to kind of put on paper and, and look at. And um, I, I'm just getting so much out of it. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Oh, I'm so excited to learn more as you are progressing on this and to just keep sharing. You know, we do. Eric sometimes sends me updates of where he's at, and I always enjoy reading them and learning from you, too, Eric. So thank you so much. And we have reached the rapid fire round. So if you can answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabuloso. Are you ready? OK, yes, I'm ready. What would you say to young Eric or Eric on day one? Good question. Um, and I thought about this a lot. I would, and I, I hear a lot of people say the same thing, but I, I totally agree with it. I would just say, you're good, man. You're okay. And everything's going to be okay. What is your favorite ice cream flavor? Mm, coffee. What has recovery made possible for you? Everything. Everything. I mean, my, the door to my life has opened up. I mean, listen, I, I, there's still work to be done. There's still work to be done. I mean, obviously last night was a great example of for me, but it has opened the door to, to all kinds of endless possibilities and belief in myself that I can do pretty much anything I want to do. What's an unexpected perk of sobriety? Achieving goals, you know, like, uh, like I, I said this year, at the beginning of this year, I set a goal to, to get back in shape and lose some weight and everything else. And I have done it. And I mean, I lost, I've lost like 25 pounds. Uh, I go to the gym six days a week and I'm so still into, into all of it, you know, 12 months later. And that was something I, I would have never done in, in my drinking days. I would have never stuck to a goal. I like hearing this. What parting piece of guidance can you give listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? I would say to them, try it, give it a try, try a, a 30 day, you know, 30 days, you know, what is that? Um, dry, dry January, you know, that's coming up. January is coming up. Well, for me, for us, it is right now in this moment, but, uh, our, our, you know, just 30 days, try 30 days and see where you're at. And if you're feeling really great, then try 30 more, but try it, give it a shot. Um, it, you're going to find it's worth it. It, 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 there's just so much. And before we depart, can you give listeners your own, you may have to say adios to booze. If line, you may need to say adios to booze. If, you are you you are now dealing with your 50 UI and you still think that it's just um, it, it was just a glitch. It, it's not really a big problem for you. Oh, Eric, I'm so glad that you don't have to deal with DUIs anymore. <laughs> so am I. So am I. 
Thank so you so I. much for joining us and sharing your story here on the show. I can't wait to share it with everyone. I appreciate you, my friend. Thank you so much, Adetta. I appreciate you as well. We'll talk soon. Yes, absolutely. Bye. Very well, Team Ari. That wraps up our interview for today. And before I say adios, I want to take a moment to remind you to not put so much pressure on yourself. We're about two weeks into this new year, and maybe a lot of the expectations that we set up for ourselves are starting to really come back at us in the form of shame or beating ourselves up or feeling like we're not doing good enough already. I believe in goals and I believe in consistency and discipline, but I also believe in getting off the rat race of just being so hard on ourselves. I want you to take a moment today and focus on something good. Focus on things that you can be grateful for. Focus on being thankful for the efforts instead of the outcome. Accept where you are. Give yourself a big hug. And let's keep moving forward together. Remember that you're not alone. We are here for you. Recovery Elevator, stay awkward and weird. You won't regret it. I love you guys. Get out of the story. Get out of the story and use the mind to locate the body. Move the energy inside by talking, walking, and most importantly, trusting that the body already knows how to do so. We cannot fight a drinking problem or an addiction because it's trying to tell us something and we must listen. It's nudging us in a certain direction. Listen to the heart and follow your gut intuition. This will never mislead you. People often ask me, what's the one thing I can do? My response is always the same. Burn the ships. repetitive thoughts that always drive you to make the same decisions. It's these familiar decisions that always lead to the same actions. It's these familiar actions that always result in the same outcomes. It's these same outcomes that constantly result in the same emotions. It's these familiar emotions that give you those familiar feelings. And it's these feelings that always lead to the same thoughts, thereby completing the cycle. If you can recognize this, you will be empowered to change your thinking.